If you just divest, we wouldn't be pests. Your fossil fuel investments must be addressed. Welcome back. Today we'll be talking to Julia De Silva, the founder of Leap U of T, about the University of Toronto's recent decision to divest from fossil fuels. We are so excited that U of T has announced that they will be divesting from fossil fuels, and we kind of feel like it came out of nowhere. So we're very excited to jump into this conversation today. Uh, and yeah, we're looking forward to it. Yeah, so there's a couple of things that are really exciting about what they committed to. They said that they would end all direct investments in fossil fuel companies within the year, which is exciting, and extract themselves from indirect investments by 2030 or sooner, which is absolutely fantastic. Well, and they've also committed to put 10% of their investments, which I think according to the Globe and Mail is about uh, $400 million, into what is called sustainable and low carbon investments by 2025. Yeah, we love a reinvestment strategy. Yeah, we love the reinvestment strategy. And I think I've seen a few different um, numbers on this, but I believe U of T has an endowment of roughly $4 billion. Uh, which I believe is the largest among Canadian universities. So that makes it even more exciting. Yeah, and U of T, I feel like also is kind of the white whale here in that they're probably what we thought would be maybe one of the hardest to get over to the side of divestment. So now that they've finally made that decision, I think we're expecting to see a lot more decisions coming from other universities in the next couple of months or years. Mm-hmm. I've been calling U of T the tipping point university. Uh, I thought that once U of T divested, we'd kind of see a wave of universities in Canada following their lead. That tends to be the case. So we're hoping uh, in the next few months and the hopefully the next year, maybe the next two years, we'll see more more divestment announcements from other Canadian universities. You know what this means also? What does it mean, Petra? All of us were wrong in that one episode where we were talking to Guy and we were predicting which university was going to be next. We all thought it was going to be McMaster. Yeah, you're right. It wasn't McMaster. We're still, I still have my hopes high for McMaster. That team is working so hard on that school. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and I know they have their work cut out for them. Uh, I think a few, few members of their board of governors have direct links to the fossil fuel industry. So I think it's, it's quite a challenge that they have in front of them, but they've, they've put a lot of work into it and we're hoping to see that announcement soon. I just want to jump back, Petra, to some more of the statistics from uh, U of T. So when U of T announced that they'd be divesting, we also found out how much money they were investing into fossil fuels. Roughly, the fossil fuel investments from U of T are just under $65 million. So 1.6% of U of T's holdings. Damn. So that's that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. <laughs> this is big. This is so big. I mean, between this decision and Harvard's decision last month to divest its 53 billion dollar endowment fund like this is big news for divestment yeah and i know there was some conversation at least i remember having this conversation with uh, a couple of the other members of the uft team about why we thought that uft was decided to divest when they did and it, it was coincidentally at the beginning of cop 26 and I think U of T had just joined the Net Zero Asset Owner Alliance. 
So uh, according to the Globe and Mail, it's a group of institutional investors committed to achieving net zero carbon emissions associated with their portfolios by 2050. And they really want to look like the climate leaders in Canada. So I think that's that's just interesting to point out. Yeah, I mean, U of T has a really strong research side for climate and science side for climate. So it's really nice to see them matching that commitment that they have in research and with their finances, putting their money where their mouth is, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. I think they, they made a, a lot of moves at once here. They're really looking to come out of the gates as one of the leading climate advocates of, of Canada. Yeah. yeah. And of course, on top of all of that, they've also been under extreme pressure over the last couple of years from a whole bunch of really hardworking activists. So uh, why don't we move over now to talk to Julia about the incredibly hard work she and others have been doing to get U of T to this point. Hi, Julia. Do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, for sure. I'm Julia. I graduated from U of T in 2020 and spent uh, my undergrad there organizing with U of T's fossil fuel divestment campaign um, with the student group LEAP U of T. I'm doing a master's at UBC right now. So you've pretty much been with LEAP U of T since the beginning, right? Can you tell me how long that's been going on? Yeah, so I actually helped found it um, in the fall of 2016. And just, uh, I guess, a little bit of background on that. So in earlier in 2016, so this was before I started at U of T, President Merrick Gertler had rejected the initial um, petition to divest from fossil fuels. And up until that point, the U of T chapter of Toronto 350, the like local branch of 350.org, had been organizing the divestment campaign um, at U of T. And that grew fractured after that ultimate loss. And that, that fall, there wasn't really a, like active climate justice group on campus, except for a few kind of college-specific ones. So there were just a few of us. And this was the year that um, the LEAP Manifesto and its call for climate justice was really big. This was in the wake of the 2015 federal election. And there were a few of us kind of thinking about, well, how do we like think about things like climate justice and the LEAP Manifesto on campus? Um, and that was when we kind of unearthed the whole, none of us none, none of us had really heard about fossil fuel divestment organizing before, but we talked to organizers who'd been working on the campaign up until that point and kind of made it our thing to restart the campaign. And so I know it's been a year or so now since you graduated from U of T, but what have been some of the actions that the group has done towards divestment? So after the kind of initial petition was rejected, that kind of exhausted the initial, I guess you could say like institutional or bureaucratic route that a divestment campaign could take um, because there's actually has like a whole policy set up to deal with petitions to divest that it gets from students and community members in that policy um they have to deal with petitions that are brought forward, but if something, if a petition is too similar to one that's already been brought forward within a period of like seven years, they can just kind of dismiss it as, as superfluous. Um, so there was no institutional route to take. We couldn't just write up another petition and organize around another petition. So we were kind of thinking of way of like, how do we keep the kind of divestment campaign alive, make sure that like new students coming in know that they're in you know, their university is kind of actively materially embedded um, in the climate crisis without relying on kind of an institutional road that's closed to us. So we 
tried a couple of different things. The main route that we ended up taking for those first few years was we um, branched out to the federated colleges. So U of T has this structure where it's the administration as a whole has its um, kind of own investments managed by the U of T Asset Management Corporation. But then the federated colleges like Victoria College, Trinity, all have their own sets of investments. So we had a strategy where we were going to focus on um, those smaller colleges with their smaller endowments, build up campaigns and like those local places and kind of always be connecting it back to U of T as a whole and continue to con- collect like petition signatures for a U of T wide campaign. So we focused a lot on Victoria College that has, they have yet to actually divest their endowment. Um, we got, we gained a lot of student support there. We did some um, actions at um, Board of Regents meetings, spent a year kind of pretty hardcore just harassing the bursar and the finance committee. And then we also were involved in other kind of climate justice work that wasn't explicitly campaigning for divestment, but that we used divestment as a link for kind of connecting other related issues to the our kind of material position within the university. Main example that comes to mind is uh, right before the pandemic hit uh, in the winter and spring of 2020, um, when there were a lot of Wet'suwet'en solidarity um, blockades and actions happening. We organized um, the U of T walkout. We did different educational things um, with uh, students against Israeli apartheid, looking at links between like fossil fuel divestment and BDS campaigns. So just a lot of work like that, kind of this like using keeping divestment as alive is almost like a, a lens of analysis um, for looking at how the university is like embedded in all these different things. So obviously, U of T has recently announced that they're going to divest from fossil fuels. And I know we've talked about this a little bit uh, amongst the rest of like the divestment community. And a lot of us didn't really see this coming. And I just wanted to ask you as someone who has organized on that campus, what do you think of this announcement? Did it surprise you? Yeah, so it definitely really surprised me. I found out just from kind of a friend sharing a link early that morning, but no one at Leap, no one really at U of T involved with divestment work had any idea. How do you feel about it? I mean, like, so the first kind of reaction was shock and, and like joy because this, it's, I think it's been kind of a long time since I have kind of actively hoped to hear news coming out of U of T that was kind of this good that they were actually going to go through with full divestment. So it's and like this is exactly kind of what the divestment campaign has been calling for. But there's also kind of this hesitancy um, to kind of be just fully joyful. This decision was made so kind of far behind closed doors and without kind of any like active communication or like recognition of the by the administration of um, the campaign so when the announcement came out and um, President Gertler um, did an interview on it he used a lot of the exact rhetoric that the divestment campaign has been using since 2013 um, long before I was at UOD and long after um, um, for the last nine years or so talking about you know I think one of the in most of most of the articles they 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 quote him as saying you know the evidence around climate change is incontrovertible and we're all like yeah um, it also has been incontrovertible for the past decade that the campaign's been alive it can be hard I think kind of seeing though that discrepancy between like it doesn't feel like anything that kind of we did directly caused this decision. But also he made some comments around, you know, the fact that it's now a lot easier for universities and like institutions with big endowments to divest because there are lots of pooled funds that don't contain um, any fossil fuel shares, which is like 
because of all of the years of fossil fuel divestment organizing that have, has been happening, not just at U of T, but of course, like around the world. So that kind of collective pressure, I think, means that like we kind of as a movement and as a group can kind of claim that victory. That's a very interesting conversation to have as well. And this might be a bigger conversation for another episode. But the fact that you're right, when when these universities make these uh, divestment announcements, they often use similar wording to what divestment groups have been demanding for several years before their announcement. And they kind of lean on that as their announcement. And they make it seem like they just came up with all these statistics <laughs> and facts when we've been giving it to them for several years ahead of <laughs> ahead of this announcement. And I think that that's something that often the, like the public who's reading these articles doesn't know about like they don't know that that the the divestment groups have been submitting petitions and papers and letters and going to meetings and asking questions to get this decision to happen all they see is you know a couple quotes from maybe a divestment organizer and then the big university statement and i also think it's interesting because you mentioned that they use very similar wording if not the same wording Mm -hmm. uh, to some of the things that the U of T team was requesting. You know, plagiarism is such a big conversation in university. (laughs) (laughs) And to me, that is a direct contradiction. You know, if you're going to be using the facts and the statistics that we gave to you, just because you can find them on your own, we still did all the work. Please give us credit. Um, And I think that that's just a very interesting conversation. One moment that was um, kind of really interesting for me was the day that the um, decision was made. I was speaking to a Globe and Mail reporter about kind of writing an initial article about the decision who asked, does it surprise you that like U of T took this long to divest, you know, because isn't U of T at the forefront of like progressive change or kind of isn't U of T kind of a, a leading institution? Um, and that question threw me. I think I just said, no, <laughs> it doesn't. Um, but that kind of was a reminder that like U of T does a really good job of projecting to the general public this kind of image of itself as having this leadership position in the world um, and being at the forefront of it's easy to kind of for people to lose sight of things like, you know, it might have taken them a long time to divest from fossil fuels. We were one of the last, possibly the last institution in Canada to uh, divest from South African apartheid. This is not uh, like them taking a long time to act and only doing so when it feels really politically safe is not new. Definitely middle of the pack. No, yeah, no, they're doing, and realistically, like we know that this was a PR calculation that at a certain point, it looked better. It it was going to do more for them to divest. The really important thing for me to, to remember is like, yes, there's that cynical kind of reading, which is definitely right. But also the fact is that like, it is divestment movements um, and just climate justice movements and like org- on all kinds of organizing on campus and like all kinds of radical orgs, um, just like consistently showing up and putting pressure that like made that PR calculation possible and made the calculation kind of come out in the way that it did. So I think like this is kind of ultimately a really exciting moment um, because it means that now say Leaf U of T can claim this victory and like go on to do other work and that those kind of years of you know hoping that the campaign wasn't just going to die um, and like canvassing and gathering signatures ultimately like did pay off. And speaking of moving forward, what's your direction going from here? What what do you see your um yeah, so I as 
as you said, I'm I'm not actively involved anymore, but I know um, there are so there are still kind of divestment related battles to be won at U of T that I'm fairly certain they will be taking up in some form or another. Um, I mentioned the federated colleges before, so they're not involved in this decision. Um, Victoria College, for example, as far as we know, still invested in fossil fuels. Another big one is the university's pension plan, which is recently um, amalgamated with a couple of other institutions. That's not divested either. Um, so there's that work. Also, as I mentioned, like con- kind of concurrently with divestment, LEAP has also kind of always been doing other um, related work, indigenous solidarity work, climate strike. U of T is also, you know, still invested in mining corporations, um, arms companies. We're still embedded in all of these kind of colonial institutions that are still doing all of this harm. Um, and how do we like keep pushing against that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm gonna I'm gonna swing uh, back a little bit just just on the fact that you know uh, U of T's announcement did follow Harvard as well, announcing that they would be divesting. And we have seen before from universities and colleges that it tends to be a trend. Uh, you know, one university college does it, then another one does. Um, and uh, I, I do know that there is some different activists from different universities that as their schools divest, they are helping out with other schools as well in terms of developing those techniques and being able to get other schools uh, to divest as well. But we've done this on the, sh- on the podcast before, and uh, I'd like to do it again if Petra's down for it, uh, where we predict where, what the next <laughs> school to divest is oh. going to be. And last time it was McMaster, and we were wrong. <laughs> Um, but but Julie, what, what would be your prediction for the next school in in Canada to divest from fossil fuels? Wow. Okay. You know, I it hadn't even kind of occurred to me to play this game with myself, and now I'm kind of going through my um, mental list of schools. Um, um, wow, that's an excellent question. I'm actually leaning towards another Toronto school divesting next. I feel like after U of T, you know, I feel like it's going to be, how how can schools like Ryerson or York not follow suit when the other school in their city has 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 done that? I don't know. We always talk about Carleton and New Ottawa. You know, if Carleton was to divest, New Ottawa would most definitely divest and the other way around. Um, so I think I'm leaning towards York or Ryerson. No, yeah, and you know now that I now that you say that, I'm I'm just thinking of kind of even like like leap organizers have been in con- like since this decision in contact with organizers at York, um, talking about like setting up panels and like talking about the campaigns moving forward. Um, I don't know a whole lot personally about the state of the York campaign. I know they're like fairly active, but that that makes a lot of sense to me. <laughs> so to wrap it all up, what advice would you give? campaigns that are still trying to get to where U of T is at now? One thing that comes up a lot, um, I mentioned with regards to the divestment policy that like there's a seven year kind of zone after you submit a petition where you can't submit a new one that's too similar. Seven years is like enough time for multiple kind of generations of U of T students to like start and graduate. Um, So they rely really heavily on um, student turnover. It was really kind of important for LEAP when the institutional like channels of going through the divestment policy were closed to kind of really focus on just the kind of like the everyday like one-on-one like student in- interactions um, and like doing a lot of canvassing um, and just talking to people and like building that kind of just like a student culture. And I think I think like this like student organizing world, it's like really easy to kind of feel like you're on this like really tight timeline all the time because 
the school year goes so fast and people graduate so fast and it feels like you're not going to get anything done before you graduate or before the semester is over. But taking the time to kind of to really build an organization that like will last over years is especially important. I mean, important always and generally, but like critically important in that context. And I think like, you know, at Leap, we were, you know, we had, we were like very inexperienced organizers um, in 2016, 2017. And there's a lot of stuff that, you know, we had, we had a lot of trouble kind of figuring out a structure and like there's a, like, a lot of stuff that like, you know, looking back on it, like we could have like done differently. Um, but taking the time to really do that work of like building up a decentralized structure, making sure that everyone's like trained to like have conversations and talk to people and like just constantly being a presence was really, really important. So yeah, I would just like stress that, that like this isn't something that happens because like a few people wrote a really good petition. It's because of like years of work from like multiple different campaigns creating that like constant pressure one kind of conversation that we had at leap early on was that because of i guess like i think this is like really a thing that comes up a lot specifically in divestment campaigns because usually you know you have a petition that you're giving to an institution so like there's kind of this pressure to make yourselves as kind of respectable as possible so that the serious adults at Simcoe Hall or in the governing in governing council meetings will like listen to you and take you seriously and there's a certain degree to which you have to be strategic around that but then, you know, as we're kind of building in a broader analysis of like, you know, this isn't just about where U of T is putting its finances, um, but about kind of all of the like interlocking oppressive systems that go to like create the era of crisis that we're in. There's kind of those like strands of like, how much do we like make ourselves respectable, quote unquote? How much do we kind of just eschew that and like focus on maybe doing more and I think with Leap um, we kind of had these discussions early on and we very much kind of went down the second route like the fact that we did that instead of kind of destroying ourselves trying to be respectable to an institution that literally did not acknowledge the existence of the campaign for five years um, was really important so yeah I would say um, you know being depending on the stage of the campaign like being strategic about you know having people who can like you know, dress up nice and like go to governing council meetings um, and give presentations. Um, but like not not getting like caught up in playing the kind of respectability game because it's a losing battle. Thank you so much for joining us, Julia. That was an excellent conversation and congratulations on what is absolutely your win. It's it's incredible testament to the huge amount of work that you put in. So congratulations. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Julia De Silva is a master's student at the University of British Columbia and a co-founder of Leap U of T. So at the beginning of this episode, you heard a fun little chant that I came up with uh, as we were recording this. We were looking for some jokes, but realized that divestment jokes are hard to come by. Uh, so we are looking for your suggestions. So if you have a good idea for a divestment chant, a divestment joke, or a fun divestment meme that you may have come up with, send them to our Instagram at Divest Canada, and we may talk about it on the podcast. Thank you. This podcast is hosted by Sophie Price and Petra Duff and edited by Petra Duff. Our theme was composed by Jensen Lawrence. Thank you.